1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 20 and 21. I'll back up to verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. We're just going to stop right there. Jesus Christ was manifest, the Bible says, in verse 20, in these last days or these last times for you. Now, I know we talk about it. We even talked about it in the Sunday school a little bit. The last times or the last days or the end times or the latter times. There's different words that are used or phrases. That is basically, from the studying that I've done, the, the time that characterizes this point that we're in now. From the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the third day after He was crucified, till the second coming of the Lord would be the last days, these last times. So Christ was manifest in these last days when He took on the the form of a servant and robed Himself in human flesh. The Bible says He was manifest in these last days for you. And that's important that we know. Last week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we talked on, on Christmas Eve, we had our service here, and a lot, I know a lot of people weren't here for different reasons, but we talked about the fact that the Bible says, unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, okay? Behold, there's, there's good tidings that uh, uh, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. It's unto you. It's universal in the sense it's for the whole world, but it's very personal in the sense that He's born unto you and for you, and He was manifest in these last days for you. And for me, it's very personal. The Lord knows you. The very hairs of our head are numbered. Amen. They might be decreasing day by day, but he knows the number of the hairs of our head. And the Bible says that the word manifest means to render apparent or to show forth or to appear. So Jesus uh, manifestly declared himself very openly when he said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And before Abraham was, I am. And he made himself known by his miracles, by the fulfillment of the prophecies that he and by his own resurrection. Uh, everything about his life fulfilled the prophecies. And he was made very clear and apparent for you. He did that for you. And the Bible says that uh, in, in this passage that we just read in, in verse 21, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. And we're going to talk about this today, this plain and simple truth, that the Lord Jesus was manifest to this world, that our faith and hope might be in Him. You say, well, you know, we all know that. That's so obvious. But that's what the Lord wants us to talk about this morning. He wants our faith to be in God. He wants our hope to be in the Lord and in no one else. Uh, Not only for salvation, y'all, but for everything. He wants our hope to be in God, that your faith and hope might be in God. This is why Jesus came. We could sit down with a lot of uh, theological reasons of why Jesus came. But the Bible says He came to seek and save the lost. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to be the final sin offering for the sins of the world. Why? Because He loves men. The Lord loves men that He created in His image. And because of the fall, 
of Adam, that sin nature has been passed on to all of us and we need a redeemer. Christ came to be a redeemer. What does he even care to redeem us? Well, he cares because he loves us and he wants us to be with him and he wants our faith and our hope to be in God. Not just for salvation and say, okay, thank you. I understand what you did on the cross. That was very kind, what you did for me. And we thank Him and then we move on. Not at all. We, our life is hid with Christ in God, the Bible says. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Okay? In Colossians chapter 3. And so our faith is to be in the Lord, not just for salvation, but for everything and for all times and for anything and for everything that we would go through in our lives. The Lord wants us to know that our faith and hope is to be in Him. Jesus said, and Jesus answered them and said unto them, have faith in God. Mark 11, 22, when He was talking about the, the, uh, how the fig tree withered up so quickly. They passed before the, the day before by it, and Jesus wanted some fruit, and He went to it, and it says that happily He might find some fruit, and there was nothing on it, and so He cursed it. Okay, it was a picture. It was, it was a demonstration. He passed by the next day and his disciples say, wow, this thing's already withered up. Behold how quickly it withered up. He says, look, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd not only say to this fig tree, but you'd say to a mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it would be done. He says unto them, have faith in God. And so the, Lord, the Word just told us in 1 Peter 1.21 that your faith and hope might be in the Lord. Now, now, I want you to turn with me and, and read this scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read one verse. Verse 16, the last, last verse of this chapter. And Paul says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. I believe this has to do with His, his coming to the earth, with Jesus uh, being incarnate and coming to the earth. When it says there's a mystery to it. He says there's no doubt about it. There's a mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus Christ. Manifest, the, the Bible says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the, John says we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. All these must be important to the Lord. All of these little segments of this must be very important to the Lord in telling about the Lord's first coming. Believed on in the world, received up into glory. It says He was believed on in the world. That's important. You think... You might just read over something like that and not think much about it. It's important that Jesus was believed on in the world. He came and He showed Himself as the Son of God. He came into His own, that's the Jewish nation as a whole, and His own did what? They received Him not. They were offended at Him. They were, he was like uh, to them, uh, He was like a stone of offense, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to them that believed not because their hearts were hardened. Their ears had waxed. Wax gross of hearing, their hearts had grown dull. But he says, to, "But as to many, as to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God." And so he was believed upon in the world. The apostle that was writing that John believed, Amen. And and we believe he's believed on in the world. It's important that it's in the world. 
Because the angels in heaven already believe. Amen? And so He came to this earth that men would believe on Him. It says He was manifest in the flesh and He was believed on in this world. Because once you die, it's too late to decide then if you're going to believe in the Lord. Like Clarissa was talking about in Sunday school, uh, a lot of people believe in the sense of a mental belief and a mental assent and agreement to a set of facts, but they're not born again. The devils believe and tremble. That's a dead faith. And there are people with a dead faith. And so it's a saving faith that's going to save. Amen? It's a saving, it's a living faith that's going to save. And so when it says that the Lord was believed upon in this world, all that Jesus did, and what we read about in that passage there, but when you just think about the life of Jesus, everything He did and everything He came to be and to do at His first coming only benefits you if you believe upon Him with the saving faith. He could have done the most wonderful things, which He did. We took communion this morning. It represents His body that was broken for us, His blood that was shed. As often as we do it, we show forth the Lord's death till He comes. That means He's coming back again. Everything He came to do and everything He was in His very nature as God in the flesh, He came to do and to be. It only benefits you or me if we believe upon Him. And again, I know this is a simple truth, but He's only your Savior if you believe Him to be. He's the Savior of the whole world. The Bible says especially to them that believe. Okay, He's the Savior of all men because there's not another Savior. Even the Lord says in the Old Testament, Isaiah, He says, I, the Lord, am your Savior, and besides me there is no Savior. He's the Savior of all men, but He's only really the Savior of those that believe. They're only going to benefit from that, right? Those that believe. And so when it says believed upon in this world, and He's seated at the right hand of the Father now, praying and interceding, for you and me. All that He did manifest in the flesh, His miracles, His sinless life, His sin-atoning death, His resurrection the third day, His ascension to the right hand of the Father. That only benefits a man or a woman or a person if they believe in the Lord, right? The facts are the facts. It's historical. He did it in fulfillment of the Scriptures, in fulfillment of all righteousness. He did it all the way it was supposed to be done. He did it all the way that He foretold it would be done, including His own resurrection from the dead. He foretold it only benefits a man if they believe. He's only our Savior if we believe. He's only my forgiver if I believe Him and put my faith in Jesus Christ. He is only my healer if I trust Him to be that. He's only my friend who sticks closer than a brother if I believe Him to be that. We could preach it, preach it, preach it, and the Bible could tell us, tell us, tell us, but until I believe Him to be that, He's not that for me. And so this is what we're talking about. He's only my guide through life, my guide, my leader through life, which He is. He's only that if I believe Him to be that and walk with Him and put my trust in Him. So our heart must be established in Christ and our faith must be solely in the risen Lord. Jesus, when He said to His disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Remember John 14, verse 1? Why not? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. He's believed upon in the world. We have to believe upon Him. He, in that passage, He went on to promise them a mansion in glory. That He was going to come and receive His followers one day to be with Himself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And He's promised that to them. Well, they have to latch on to that promise, right? We have to believe the Lord, not only for salvation, 
but for everything in this life. And our faith is to be in the Lord and the Lord, the Lord alone. It will there come a point where it's too late for people to believe. That's why it says in this world. Like I said earlier, when somebody dies and then they want to reconsider, somebody dies outside of Christ and they, maybe they heard the name and they heard the gospel all their lives, but they never gave their life to Jesus. They weren't born again with saving faith. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. With the mouth confession is made, the heart man believes unto righteousness and salvation. And so it only comes through faith in the Lord. But once a man dies, they don't get a redo. They don't get a second chance. It's, that's it. And so he starts to be believed on in this world. That's where he's to be believed on. And that's where we've trusted him. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Now we actually are studying Hebrews right now on Wednesday nights. And we are in chapter 12. We haven't quite gotten this far. But I want you to read the last, uh, right at the end of the chapter, start in verse 26. Hebrews 12, 26. This is speaking about the Lord, okay? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now He hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the, re- the removing of those things that are shaken, as, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And I want to tell you why I read that passage. I was thinking about that. This, every every uh, one that I've studied on this passage is, it says that that is a future unfulfilled prophecy. This once more, I'm going to shake the earth. Where he says he has shaken before. His voice shook the earth. That spoke about when the Lord, uh, when the Lord came down to the physical Mount Sinai and spoke, and the children of Israel at the, Israel were at the bottom, and Moses went up and met with the Lord. It says they were afraid of his voice, and we're going to talk about that on Wednesday night. So I don't want to get too much into it now. But his voice, the voice of God, meeting on that mountain and lightnings and fire and black smoke, it shook the earth. He says, but once more. So it was like a picture of something he's going to do in the future that's as of yet unfulfilled. Okay, he's going to shake the heavens and the earth to where whatever's not in him basically is going to fall. In other words, all that's going to last is going to, he's going to shake it in such a way. Um, and, and everybody that I've studied believes it has to do with a, with the physical refining of the earth. You know, we've talked about that in Second Peter 3, a new heaven and new earth where the earth's going to be melted with a fervent heat and the elements are going to be burned up and it says a great noise is going to accompany that. And it, that's like at the end of the millennium. And by that time, y'all, have to understand, by the end of the millennium, that last <coughs> battle of, of Gog and Magog, and then the, uh, the, it comes the eternity of eternities, there's a great white throne judgment, that is going to usher in a time where there's no more changing. And what I mean by no more changing, the creation won't be changing more, heaven and earth won't be changing more, the new Jerusalem will have come down, okay? And there's no more changing from being lost to saved or... Or a you know, saved person to an apostate or anything like that. 
by that time, and it says if you read the end of Revelation, I think chapter 21 or maybe 22, let him that is unjust be unjust still. Let him that's holy be holy still. There's coming a day where there's no more moving. You're going to decide, okay? So I don't want to misappropriate this passage in Hebrews. It is talking about a shaking, and most Bible scholars believe it says of those things that are made, he said, to where there's going to be a refining and a new heaven and new earth, and wherein dwelleth righteousness. There will only be saved, redeemed people there forever and ever. No changing. It will be wonderful. Okay, the eternity of eternities. The reason I wanted to read that scripture in context of this sermon, that, that thought keep, kept coming to me about the shaking, where the Lord's going to shake things. Now, I know what it's talking about in that passage. I believe I know. But I also believe in leading up to that day, the days in which we're living, okay? Leading up to the, uh, this last shaking that the Lord's going to do with creation and everything, that there's going to be a testing and a shaking of men's faith. There's going to be a shaking of, of the Lord testing and trying people the legitimacy of our faith. In other words, we have churches all over this country, this city, this world right now that are meeting, okay? At least in this country, they're meeting right now. And in, within every local church body, within, the, within that group of people, there are going to be saved people, and there are going to be some people that may not really be born again. Would you agree with that? You know, it doesn't have to be that way, but we would figure there's probably people in churches that come to church and come regularly, and maybe are meeting this morning, they're not born again, but they're in church. And they're going along with everything like a Christian. Okay? And they're going to be shaken. At some point, I don't know how God's going to do it, but God's going to shake to where He's going to sift the wheat, and the good wheat's going to come through, and all the little uh, scrubs and the chaff and all that is going to be separated. There's going to be a shaking, not only this big end-time shaking of the earth, of created things, but I believe leading up to that, our, t- our age that we live in is going to be more and more characterized by a testing of our faith to where we're tested to see, is it legit? Is it real? Is it the real deal? And we see in the Bible examples of this, we see where Jesus had 70 disciples at one time in John chapter 6, and I don't have time to read it, but you can read it. He had 70 disciples. Now, he had his 12 that he called by name, but at one point he had 70 disciples. He even sent them off one time, two by two. The 70 were included in that. <clears throat> and it doesn't really matter to, for the context of this sermon, but he got, there got to a point in their walk with the Lord, they're following Jesus, okay, that it got to be too costly for them either too hard or they were offended. He preached about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. This is a hard saying. Who can know it? They didn't understand. He said the words, I speak their spirit in their life. And it says they were offended and they left and they walked no more with Jesus. If you'd have seen them five minutes before, you'd have said, there are 70 disciples of Jesus. You know, I know this guy, Harry, and this is Ralph, and they're all followers of Jesus. They followed him here, here, and here. And they believe Him. They've told me about Jesus. There came some point where they didn't walk anymore with the Lord. They were shaken, right? So it's nothing new, but I believe it's going to be more and more in our day. Because Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, shall He find faith on the earth. 
the, in the days in which we're living in, it's not to scare us. He chose us to live in this day and he is sufficient to help us in this day. So don't, we're not to be afraid. But I believe the days, if you look in the Bible, the end times are characterized by um, a falling away. Real, a real testing and trying. We're not going to have to go through the tribulation period. So I'm not talking about that. We're not appointed to the wrath of God. Talk about that in Sunday school next week. We talk about the second coming. But, uh, but there is a testing. We saw, and it's nothing new. God has tested men's faith all through the time of mankind being on this earth. God tested Abraham. He woke him up in the morning. He said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, an offering for a burnt offering. There's no getting around that. It's pretty clear, specific. Abraham understood what it meant. What was happening? His, test, his faith was being tested. So testing of men's faith is nothing new. But I believe it's going to increase. Leading up to that end time shaking that's way down the road where the heaven and earth are changed, and, and just I'm using it for an analogy to where the things that cannot be shaken, he says, will remain. And I pray for you and for me that we have a faith, and I'm confident that we do, okay? But I still want to know the Lord wants me to preach this message today, that we have a faith that cannot be shaken. That when it's shaken to the very core, that it remains. That it remains. Because y'all, this is all going to pass away soon. And I need to put my hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Not only for salvation, but for my future, for my life, for everything. When, when it looks the blackest and bleakest and darkest and scariest, then I need to trust in the Lord. <clears throat> Those 70 were offended and they walked no more with the Lord. We don't ever read in the Scripture where any of them came back. You know, a couple of chapters later, the 58 that left came back and joined the 12. We don't read that. It's just there. It just is what it is. They walk no more with Jesus. So up to a point, but their faith was shaken. They were offended and they didn't believe. They believed this, this, and this, but they couldn't believe this. Okay, and they didn't walk with the Lord anymore. <clears throat> when Jesus turned to the 12, He said, will you go away also? You know the passage where Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? We believe. We're convinced. See, their faith wasn't shaken. It is possible to have a faith that's not shaken. We believe you're the Christ and, and we're going to cling to you. And they held to the Lord. And so, uh, God's purpose in shaking men's faith and testing Abraham and testing you and testing me, His purpose is not at all to destroy so get that, we need to get that clear and I'm going to reiterate that. His purpose is not to destroy, uh, but to refine my faith, to purify it, to test it. I always use the example because I, I played sports and others here have played sports and you could use it for different than military or different things in life. That that instructor for military, for basic training, for example, Clendenin always shared it in his sermon, uh, Soldiers, his purpose was not to destroy those new recruits, for example. It seemed like it. Those new recruits might have cursed and hated him and hated their commanding officer and everything else. But I promise you, if they went from there into action, like military action, they were thankful that it was the way that it was. I'm glad he wasn't softer on me. Because it might have cost my life if he had been. 
So the Lord's purpose, and, and that could be with a lost drill, drill sergeant, okay? Or a lost football coach that I might have played for, something like that. How much more the Lord? He is doing it for our benefit, for our profit. He absolutely will test our faith. His, his objective was not that he hated Abraham and wanted to crush him. He wanted to tr- test the man and try his heart and try his faith and test it. It was a test. And it was a good one. And it was a trial. And, and Abraham came through trusting in the Lord. But what are the, the day in which we live is characterized by what, y'all? What does the Bible say? Um, this, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then there's a description for about seven verses there. Men shall be proud, blasphemers, boastful, disobedient to parents, uh, undisciplined, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Just on and on. Is, not, is that not the day in which we're living? Uh, well, you could say, well, it's always been that way. If we lived in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, we would have said that's how it was. And I would agree. But those were isolated places. You know, the Roman Empire was wicked and full of lewdness and everything going on. So it's not new. None of those things are new. But it's ramped up to where it's more commonplace. We have to agree that on a global scale, all of those things are more prevalent. They would literally characterize our age in which we're living. Girl Scouts can, girls can now join the Boy Scouts. I mean, that's a new ruling. After all these years, transgenders can now join the Boy Scouts. This is a decree. We're calling wrong right and right wrong. And so this is a, it characterizes our age. All these sins are not new. There's homosexuality thousands of years ago. There's nothing new about that. But we're ordaining it. We're sanctioning it. And we're saying it's okay. In fact, don't you dare speak against it or you're in trouble. You'll lose your job. You may not even break a law, but you'll be demonized and lose your job, your position, or whatever. And so it characterizes our age, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. So that's not true saving faith. It has an appearance of being godly or or moral or virtuous or something like that, or maybe spiritual even, but denying the Bible and the God of the Bible and the power of Almighty God. And so that's the day in which we're living. And God is desiring more and more to test and prove what's real. He has a purpose of separating, okay? Of, of getting His people to Himself over here. Just again, if you've ever seen a, a sieve or one of these things you sift something with, if you've ever been panning for gold on a family van vacation or something, we did that when I was young. You chip around the rocks in the riverbank for a little while. You put it in a pan. You wash it. You wash it. And, and uh, it's got like a, like a screen at the bottom and stuff, and then you're left with something at the end, some little sparkly, shiny thing, and all the sand and dirt goes out. And so, <clears throat> well, the Lord is doing that. Again, nothing new, but I think it's much more in our day. We need to know it. We need to be prepared for it. We need to draw close to the Lord now and keep pressing in. This is not to instill fear in our hearts. This is the, so that we understand we're not ignorant of the times in which we live. And we understand when God does test me, His motive in it is good and kind. He's trying to strengthen me and build me up. Okay? In Him, specifically. Our faith will be tested. And y'all, you can sit, all of us sitting in this room right here this morning, 
Every one of us has testimony. Since we've been saved, you can look back and you say, boy, the Lord brought me through this. Right now, you, you can start listening, right? You ought to do it one night on Sunday night and just share. Everybody share something God's brought you through that you remember that you hang your hat on, okay? The Lord brought me through this. And at the time, it was so hard. I didn't know that I was going to make it through. But He kept us, right? We're still here today because He kept us through that yesterday. And He brought me through this. And He brought me through this. He brought me through this. He brought me through this adversity. And But looking ahead, the adversity and the trial may be greater. May be greater. We need to understand that. And we need to be prepared for that. And, and ask God to strengthen our faith and to help us to cut out all the riffraff and all the excess things from our life and to really press into Jesus. Alright? Because that's the day in which we live. There's going to be a testing of our faith. There are greater trials ahead. I don't believe that we're those. Paul said, uh, just listen to this, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him, but we are not of them. And I would say that of us this morning. We are not of them who draw back unto perdition or that's being lost or falling away, but of them which that believe to the saving of the soul. The just shall live by faith, and we're told that we're to believe to the saving of the soul. That's us. So we're not living in fear uh, of falling away, but we do understand the times in which we live. James said in, in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation or trial, because when he is trial, tried, he's going to receive a crown of life which the Lord gives to all them that love him. Okay? It's a trying of their faith. And we, we started here in First Peter. It says that your faith and hope might be in God. The Lord was manifest on this earth that our faith and hope might be in Him. I want to read this from a quote from A.W. Tozer. I thought it was really good. I was reading it from one of his devotionals. He says, you're in a tough circumstance. So just pretend your own, perfect, your own personal life, you are there now. Or you just came out of one, or maybe you're about to go into one. You're in a tough circumstance. You can live on froth and bubbles and little wisps of of badly understood theology until the pressure is on. And when the pressure is on, you'll want to know what kind of God you're serving. This is the kind of God you're serving. All that God says or does must must accord with all of His attributes, including His attribute of faithfulness. Every thought that God thinks, every word that God speaks, every act of God must accord or be in agreement with His faithfulness, wisdom, goodness, justice, holiness, love, truth, and all His other attributes. The next time I'm in a tough circumstance, Lord, I will trust Your faithfulness, for I know that's the kind of God I serve. And so I just thought that was a good uh, quote for us to look at this morning. But y'all, everything else is going to be shaken. And when I mean everything else, I mean everything else is going to be shaken. When the dust settles, the end times thing that, that's coming, okay, and it all settles, all that's going to re- be, remain is going to be that which is established and founded upon the rock, Jesus Christ. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how beautiful the church building may be. Whatever is not wrought of God, and born of His Spirit, the music, the music ministries, the different things that are not, that may be Christian in name only, the, everything that's not of the Lord, He's going to shake it. 
That's not for me to do that. I can judge it, okay, and I can steer clear of this, and I can, you know, walk with the Lord and, and a, you know, bypass all these minds that may be set of deception. But it's God's job and His purpose to judge those things. He'll do it in His timing. Individual ministers, individual churches, ministries, uh, religions, denominations, theologies, everything. He'll shake it. So it's not just an earth that's going to be refined. It's going to all be shaken to its core. And it will only that that's what's of Christ, genuinely, and He knows, is going to stand that shaking. It's going to be a significant, serious shaking. He'll use the tribulation to do part of that. You know, he'll, He has ways of doing that. But even leading up to that, everything else will fail and everything else will fall. And so we're not, uh, we don't have to boast in anything. We just need to stay in Jesus. In the simplicity. Paul says, I, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the, the faith or the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ into another gospel. And it is simple. And we need to keep it simple. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus <coughs> for salvation and for a holy walk with God and walk in this word right here. And there's not a new theology that's coming out tomorrow that you and I need to buy into. Can I tell you that? Amen. I don't care who's pr promoting it. <clears throat> I don't care how famous they are within the circles of Christianity. If it's new and it's, well, that's different and they act like they discovered it and came up with it and the whole church world has been missing it until they brought it to light, then you can run from that. Amen. Okay? Right. <clears throat> it's not going to last. The, all of it's, all other hope is going to disappoint. The Bible says some trust in chariots and some in horses. That would be like military might, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We're going to people trust in different things. Everything else is going to be shaken to the core, to what that which cannot be shaken is going to stand. Period. It's going to be very clear, very clean. Okay, <clears throat> the way He refines and, and judges those things. The Bible speaks of Abraham, who we've already talked about. It says, "Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations." According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Have you ever felt like you're hoping against hope? In other words, I'm hoping for something, but I just really can't even believe it, yet I'm still hoping for it. I have, you know, uh, many, many things in my life where it's like I, I believe it, I know I'm supposed to believe it, and I do, and I keep praying for it and believing it, but almost in the back of my mind, it's almost like this is hopeless. You know, but, but that's still faith. You're still trusting God. Against hope, he believed in hope, and he received the promise that was given that, that he would be the father of many nations. But the Lord's going to blow upon that chaff that's not real. It may look like real wheat, but it's not. And it's going to blow away at some point. When he blows, it'll, it'll go, okay? When he's ready to do it. He's going to bundle up the tares in one stack and the real wheat in another, and he's going to burn up the, the tares that look like Christianity, okay? And I, I did a, a, I, heard, I read an interesting thing in a book I didn't know for years, <clears throat> that parable about the wheat and the tares, where they said, didn't we plant good wheat in this field? And they said, yeah, we planted only good seed. Uh, and the, the owner said, well, an enemy has come and sown these tares in here. And they grew up together. You had tares and wheat growing up together. The wheat would be what you want. The tares, what I, what I understood when I read it, was that you can't you couldn't recognize it until it was time to bear fruit. It didn't distinguish itself. It looked like wheat, 
maybe the green shoot, and all look the same coming up for a long time. Until it's time to bear fruit, the wheat bore fruit, and the tares puts out some tiny little poisonous berry that you can't eat, or a little seed on it. And I thought that was pretty interesting. But <clears throat> the Lord's not fooled. There's not one tear that's going to make it to heaven. And there's not one genuine wheat that's going to accidentally, accidentally be bundled up with a tear you know, and, and miss heaven. <clears throat> the Lord knows those that are His. The Bible says that the foundations of, of God stand sure having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It's comforting to me that God, that God knows who belongs to Him. So we'll be shaken, but we don't have to be shaken to the point where we think God's going to shake us so hard we're going to fall. If our faith is in Christ now, then we can keep our faith in Christ and He's going to, he's going to blow on the other things and, and it's going to blow away. Okay, It won't matter at that point what a man says about their faith. What will matter will be their faith. You understand what I'm saying? The genuineness. It won't matter when somebody proclaims because the Lord can... He, he's patient. People go a long time that way, claiming things about themselves or their faith or their Christianity that may not be true. But he knows how to blow on it, whether it's a judgment or a shaking, to where it's going to be exposed. Whatever's not of Christ is going to fall. It must be wrought in God. We must be born of His Spirit. It must be a genuine working of the Holy Ghost in our lives, in our church services. This has to be legit. It has to be real. We didn't join a Christian club. We were born again by the Spirit of God. Washed in His blood. He made us families, part of the household of faith. And He's building His church. That has to be real with His life in it. And so... Uh, the Bible says that the, the, all that's in the world and it lists the lust of the flesh and so forth is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world does what? Passes away. And the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. You see, this is plain and simple. There's a real split down the middle and a division. And so there's a shaking in this day in which we live. Just listen to this verse real quickly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you. <clears throat> Found it. Okay. They went out from us, John says in 1 John 2, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest. That's the shaking. The Lord's <coughs> going to make it real. They went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So the point is simply this. There's going to be people... <coughs> within the heading, when I say Christendom is the word that's used. Christendom, D-O-M at the end. It's not true Christianity. It would be the whole heading like a big umbrella. Okay? And under that umbrella of that which calls itself Christian in Christ, okay, there's going to be real people that know God and walk with God that are really born again of His Spirit. And there's going to be people that are not even with un, under the big umbrella of Christendom. There are things in the Christian bookstore that aren't Christian. There are things on Christian radio that aren't Christian. <clears throat> you know that. There are Christian theologies that aren't Christian. And, and they have a, a lot of scriptures in them, but the whole theology itself is still not the rightly divided Word of God. It's not what the Lord promotes. It's not His sound doctrine. And so, <clears throat> it's not going to stand. And so the false and the fake and the, and the is not going to make it. 
<clears throat> it's not going to endure this shakening. There are people that have some type of knowledge, like I said earlier, maybe a head knowledge of the Lord that would be a dead faith. And a dead faith never saved anybody. Okay? Maybe there are people that go to uh, there are people that go to seminary. They're growing up and they go to college and they go to seminary and they want to be a music minister or a youth leader or a pastor or study this or that and they're not born again. They just they think it's a good profession. They want to move into that. <clears throat> Maybe they think they're saved. Maybe they don't really understand true salvation, whatever, but I know it happens. There are people that pursue these areas of life within Christendom, but they're not brought, there's not a work in their hearts where God saved them, they repented and gave their life to Jesus and are not born of His Spirit. Our love for the Lord must be sincere and our faith in Jesus Christ must be a living faith. It has to be a living faith. We believe solely in the Lord and wholeheartedly in the God of the Word and in the Word of God. The God of the Bible and the Bible of God that He's given us. Just listen to this, y'all. It's a wonderful passage. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul said, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit as the Holy Spirit and of power. Why? The end of this is important. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He understood it. Paul understood it. I'm not coming to you. And I'm sure he could have come. Because Paul was very educated and refined and, and, and a lawyer okay, of the Jewish law. And he could have come with a lot of excellency of speech and enticing words had he chosen. Even as a believer, he could have done that. But it says, I did not come to you that way. I came showing you the reality of my faith and the reality of this gospel that I preach. There were signs and wonders wrought among you. And the Holy Spirit was poured out and people repented and gave their lives to the Lord. And by the power of the gospel, men believed and were saved. And their transformed life is an evidence of that power. And that's the way I came to you. And that's the way I go from place to place. Why? Because when it's all over, He says, I want your faith to stand. And I want your faith to stand, not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If somebody could talk you into something, some theology you're not, is not right or whatever, Somebody can talk you into it. Somebody else can talk you out of it. That would stand in the wisdom of man. But when you're established upon the rock Jesus Christ, you're not going to be shaken. You're not going to be shaken. You'll shake you, but you'll, but you'll remain. Maybe there's some things in our life that will go that need to go. Some things in my life, when He shakes me, that I find out, you know, Randy, you were carrying some extra baggage that you didn't need. And let that go by the wayside. And you trust in the Lord and keep your eyes on Him. But that rock core, that center of Jesus Christ in my heart, that new man that I'm born again, okay, that's in my heart, the new heart He's given me, that's not going to be shaken. But it's important, Paul said, I want your faith to stand in the wisdom, not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I would say that here today as your pastor, I want your faith to stand in the power of God. I want my faith to stand in the power of God. I might die tomorrow and somebody else takes over. That's okay. You keep going with Jesus. I always told our Sunday school class that we taught the high school class since our church started uh, at, at FNT. And I always told those, those young people that you're going to have people pour into your life. You're going to have challenges to your life and to your faith and get on a college campus and everything else. I don't care if you remember if I told you it or Dee told you it or somebody else told you this. 
but you keep your eyes on the Lord and you, your faith, you bring the word of God to where they're strengthened, to where their faith doesn't stand in the wisdom of man or this a pet favorite uh, preacher or teacher or something like that, but it stands in the word of God and the power of God. That's where our faith needs to stand. Okay, so we're going to be tested and tried. Uh, two things, well, really three things. When the Lord does test our faith, and He does, okay? Comes and goes, comes and goes. Some are more severe than others. I believe there are more severe ones coming. I just believe that for Christianity as a whole because of the end times we're living in, all right? <clears throat> Not because God's angry, but because of the days in which we live. He wants to separate. He wants their people separate on Himself over here that he can say, that which claimed to be Christianity is not me. Don't follow that. That's why they fell. They had no power to stand because they weren't born of my spirit and they don't represent me and they're not my ambassadors, though they claim to be. I want you to... He wants the people separated unto himself that he says, this is my people. This is the ones that I've saved. My spirit lives in them. And they're walking in accordance to my word. They're not perfect, but this is my people. He wants an identifiable people on the earth. Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles in their day with their temple worship and their blood sacrifices. It was all to be a, a testimony of God to a Gentile world that was around them. And we as Christians are to be salt and light in the day in which we live. He tests our faith, y'all. Number one, to reveal the genuineness of it. Is it legit or not? Is this really true saving faith? That's number one, I believe. Number two, he, he tests our faith as believers to strengthen our faith, to refine it, to build us up, not to destroy it. We might feel like we're, we're the weakest we've ever been, but in our weakness, he's strong. That's when we can find the greatest strength we've ever found. We'll find it in him. Okay? So when we're shaken to our core, even our faith is shaken, and we come through the other side, we're strong. Right? Any, anybody that works out with weights will tell you you break down uh, by, by working out, you push yourself to where it hurts. Well, that hurting is, it can actually be tearing of the muscles. And when you rest up, the days in between, it heals, but it heals stronger or bigger or more expanded or whatever it might be. And that's part of it. So the objective of God testing our faith, number one, is to, to, to determine the genuineness of it. If it is it legit? Number two, to, to refine and strengthen our faith. Okay, has no desire in destroying our faith, although it might appear like it sometimes because it's so severe. And I believe thirdly is to glorify the Lord. That way we come through it while we're actually in the furnace of affliction. The Bible says the Lord has chosen to, to refine you through the furnace of affliction. While we're in the fire and how we come out on the backside, He wants to be glorified through it. So remember, when you're going through a trial, if you're going through one right now, keep that in mind. <clears throat> Lord, be glorified in my life. I'm at my wit's end. I'm at, at the end of my rope. I, I've never been this scared, this attacked, this down, this confused. Uh, seems like this trial will never end or it's the most severe I've ever been through. But yet, Lord, I see you have a purpose in it or help me to see the purpose you have in it. In it. And bring me through for your glory. Keep God's glory in mind when you're going through it. And keep the kindness and goodness of God in your mind <clears throat> that He's not doing this to destroy me. Look at 1 Peter. We just have a little bit more this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
We all know this. We started in this chapter, but I want to back up to verse 6. We'll read 6 through 9. The Bible says in verse 5, we're kept by the power of God through faith. All right? Wherein, verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That means trials. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing, uh, might be, I'm sorry, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen you love, and the, whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Very clearly it's speaking about a trial of your faith. Very clearly it's saying it came from the Lord. And very clearly it's saying there's going to be an end to it. And the end of it, and the end of it is going to be salvation. Like, you know, we were saved when we asked Jesus into our heart, we're being saved or preserved through this world now by the Lord. We're going to be saved one day. We see the Lord face to face in, in, in that sense. You know what I mean? We're, it's an ongoing thing. But uh, it says that the trial of our faith may come through for the glory of God. That's important. Okay? It's more precious than gold or silver. It's going to be refined by the Lord. And so, uh, only, only again, what's going to... What's going to survive is what's produced by Jesus Christ in the heart of man or in the life of man. The other stuff is not. Self-helps things and, and whatever, good positive things and moral things that aren't wrought of God are going to be burned up. It's just going to be what the Lord's done in my heart and in, in my life. And all that's false, like I said, the folly, it's going to, it's going to be revealed one day. It's not for me to have to to be the judge of all the earth. The Lord is. I can judge what He brings into my life and discern it. We're supposed to. Okay? But He'll, he'll judge everything. And He'll do it in His time and in His way. And, and at the same time, I said there's a lot of in Christendom that's not real. I believe there's a lot in Christ, in Christendom that is real. I think we've got a handful of people here today. And we generally desire to walk with God He's done a work in our lives. He's doing a work in our lives. He's given us a hope. And we're moving forward in the hope that He's given us. And He works a lot of times in ways that we don't see. He works in ways a lot of times that we don't even understand at the time it's going on. Okay? We just don't get it. We don't see it at the time. But looking back, you'll say, oh, now I see. I get it now. I understand what the Lord was doing. I just want to read a couple of scriptures and we'll, we'll be closing. But uh, talks, David talks about the man who trusts in the Lord. He spoke about himself. For the king trusteth in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So he knew he wasn't going to be shaken. He'll be shaken, but he'll still stand. Okay? Another scripture. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. There again, it's the faith and the trust and it's God. And everything else, shake away, you know. But I'm, I'm grounded in this rock. I'm anchored into the rock. I'm not going to be moved. You turn on the news today when church is over, there might be something that go, you go, wow, and you drop your jaw and you like can't believe. And yet you're not going to be shaken. Don't let it cause you to stumble and fall and take your eyes off of Jesus. The Lord's able to keep us by the power of God through faith, the Bible says. Now the end of the commandment, 
is charity out of a pure heart, Paul told Timothy, and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. You know what unfeigned means? It means uh, hypocritical, uh, means sincere, not hypocritical. So if my faith is unfeigned, that means it's a sincere faith, a genuine faith. It's not going to be rocked. It's not going to be moved. It'll be shaken, but it won't fall. And a couple more scriptures, and I'm going to close. But in Romans 9.33, it says, But as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling block and a rock of offense. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. We have to believe solely and completely in the Lord Jesus Christ and in no other and upon no other. Amen? It's just the Lord Himself. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. I'm giving these Scriptures at the end because I want us to be encouraged. It just said the Lord's faithful. He will establish you and keep you from evil. I don't want you to leave saying, I wonder if I'm going to lose my faith. I wonder if God shakes me, I'm going to fall away. It's just the admonition from the Bible is keep trusting the Lord. He's able to keep you, so keep trusting in Him. If my God can keep me, then I want to keep trusting in this God that can keep me. Amen? And not anything else and not anyone else. He's not glorified, y'all, through my unbelief. I can still be saved and yet doubt Him at times. But He's not glorified when I live a life of unbelief. He's glorified when you and I say, I will trust you. Job said, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. I'm going to keep my eyes upon the Lord and walk with Him. And so, the last scripture I want to read, and you can turn with me, is Colossians chapter 2. Hey, you, you can come on, because we're, uh, we're going to read this scripture, and i got a little thing I want to share before we close. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Rooted and built up in Him, and established, how? It says, in the faith. As ye therefore have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So we're to be grounded and rooted and established in the faith. We start off in First Peter that your faith and hope, hope means our joyful ex- expectancy. A joyful expectancy that our faith and hope might be in the Lord. While being preparing, I just want to give you this. There's a story I read about a when people were migrating from in the early days of our country from East Coast to West Coast. And you know, Mississippi River was considered west at one point, way west. And there was a guy that was moving. He was he was migrating from east to west to claim some land and, and to move out west. And he got to the he'd never been that part of the country before. He was up further north, and it was wintertime, and he got to the Mississippi River. He was going to have to cross it. There was no bridge there, but he knew he was going to have to cross. And it was early winter, and there was a layer of ice over the top. He had no idea how thick it was, okay? He just knew there was a layer of ice over the top, and he had to get across. So he was afraid. He didn't know what to do. He stayed there. Now the sun's, he waited there all day, wondering what he should do. And now the sun's going down. It's just about dark. And he says, i got to get across this river before it gets dark. I'm going. I'm going to go on. So he didn't know the thickness of it. So he starts on his hands and knees. And he starts, you know, scooting out onto the ice little by little. I don't think I'd have been much different than this guy. And uh, wondering what's going to happen. Every little noise he hears, he's, 
He's, his heart you know, jumps up in his throat and he's afraid. And he's scooting across the ice and he gets about halfway across. And he's, he's looking at the other side and he's still scared. He's still on his hands and feet. And all of a sudden he hears some singing behind him. And he looks behind him and coming across the, across the river with four horses and a cart full of coal. This guy's just coming across the river, <laughs> zipping on by. And it was like, it, it, it encouraged him to say the least. The, the story the, the, about it, he says, many a Christian, many a Christian creeps trim, trembling upon God's promises where another stronger in faith goes singing through life upheld by the same word. Both have the same promises. And some go through life trembling. They're Christians. The Lord knows who belongs to Him. And others go through life singing through life, upheld by the same word. Have faith in God. Whoever puts in trust in Jehovah shall be safe. And so they're, they're both crossing the same frozen river. And one's singing and going four horses and a cart full of coal and the other's got his own body weight and he's skimming across on his hands and knees. I've been like that before. I want to be like the guy who's singing and going across hauling the coal, amen, with four horses because we can trust completely in the Lord as our rock. Y'all stand with me this morning.